Hello and welcome to Kernels. Slightly unorthodox episode this week, um, as I've been out the country the whole week. But I didn't want to, you know, to take a fallow fortnight from it. So my colleagues are kindly pitched in to uh, to make it happen today. So I'm currently sat in my hotel room in Portland. I was supposedly out here uh, for well, kind of partly for vacation, partly to start work on a, a new script or on a write, but. Uh, I happen to have come here at a time where the government's imploding, <laughs> which is interesting being right in the middle of it. And as much as I've been trying to enjoy all of the city, I've just kind of ended up glued to MSNBC. You know, there's like great natural beauty here. It's sunny. There's amazing breweries. Weed is legal recreationally here. But yeah, I'm so <laughs> a lot inside and sat inside just wondering like, oh, what's the next Comey memo to come out? But shortly before I went away, um, I got to interview Martin Scorsese, which was just an absolute dream, really. It doesn't really get a lot bigger than that. I'd hope to uh, include it as, it'd be, to be, you know, very much part of Kernels this week. Um, but his him or his people rather kind of insisted on it being a written interview. They would, could only, would only agree to that, which, you know, I understand. You, you sometimes run into this with kind of stars of that level and aged where you know they still have such reverence for the written word that maybe they don't really they just hear podcasts and they're like yeah what the fuck is that but it's but you know it's fine i enjoyed doing it as a, as a written piece um and it actually kind of i think it worked better if i'm honest because maybe this was partly the reason they wanted it to stay written as well because scorsese he's a rambler as it turns out he's the kind of guy you like chuck him a bone chuck him an idea and he just kind of runs with it and sort of maybe goes off slightly on a tangent in, in an enjoyable way because you know you could listen to that man talk forever at the amount of wisdom he has about Hollywood and the amount he's seen. And so, yeah, it was pretty crazy talking to him and, you know, someone who can just drop in, oh, you know, when I was working on Goodfellas or Mean Streets or Taxi Driver and you just remember the amount of films he has under his belt. I kind of didn't want to pump him for information about his next film, The Irishman, too much because it just, I don't know, it's rare to get a chance to talk to someone like that and if you end up going down that route, as intriguing as it might be now, once the films then come out, it was, it's completely redundant. You know, you were just drilling them for information about a film that now everyone everyone's seen. So I tried to keep away from that. We mostly talked about... We, well, we started by talking about his last film, Silence, just because it, it's, it's such an intriguing entry in, in his filmography in that, in that it wasn't a film that everyone was kind of begging for, certainly on the on the producing and financial side, you know, he struggled for 28 years to get that film made, and no one wanted agreeing to give him the money to do so, then when they finally did, you know, him having to take no salary himself, and the stars just taking huge pay cuts just to work with him on this film, so we kind of talked a little bit about why, why did he feel so compelled to make it, and then that kind of got us into the broader questions of about what he's hoping to achieve in his films, and the search for meaning, which is maybe not as obvious in some of his gangster movies, but is definitely there in silence. What what is driving him? What he's trying to discover? So yeah, unfortunately I can't play it for you now, but I'm gonna retweet it from um, Colonel's Twitter account, which is just twitter.com forward slash Colonel's. And uh, if you want to give it a read, I'd be delighted if you did. So yeah, now beyond that, um, we're gonna have a little catch up with Jessica Chastain, who my colleague Jacob Stolworthy um, spoke to in the last two weeks since we spoke. And then after that, Jake is going to be joined by my other colleague, Jack, and they're going to talk to you about The Leftovers. Um, just because it's something 
on our desk keeps coming up time and time again because Jacob's kind of obsessed with it and none of us have really properly delved in yet. I think Jack's seen the first two episodes. And uh, and it's an interesting show because it's got crazy, crazy ratings, crazy reviews, um, but it's still not being that talked about, you know. It's not getting as much coverage and as much chat as, you know, Game of Thrones or whatever. But it feels like it's having a kind of very Breaking Bad ascension in the, in a slightly later season it's starting to pick up pace and you can see it being you know by however many seasons they go to by the end it being you know a really main mainstream discussed piece of content oh, i can't stop saying the word content i hate that word so much so yeah right off the back of chastain it'll be the two of them kind of trying to explain why you should be watching it you know when there's so much tv out there so i hope you enjoy and i'll see you in a fortnight for another episode that um, I would love to work with Christopher Nolan again. Yeah. I think he he's he's like our Kubrick, right? And he's so ahead, you know, of yeah. of the time. And so many people keep saying, like, "What is this Interstellar? What's going on here?" <laughs> it really is. It's so intelligent. It's it's a movie that's gonna last for years and years, um, and that's all because of him. Yeah, no, I do agree, and um, I can't wait for Dunkirk. Oh, yeah. Me too. And I mean, as a, as a film, are you, are you, I guess you just love film as well, film, yeah. TV. Yeah. So, what do you like seeing in film yourself when you go to if you sit down and watch a film? Because obviously you're a very busy lady. What what do you kind of want from something that you decide to dedicate your time to? to sit down. And watch? I want to be surprised. Yeah. I want to see a film and see if a character that I maybe have haven't seen in, in movies. Yeah. Um, I want to lean forward because I'm trying to like figure out what's happening and not just have it served to me. Um, I really like foreign films because they do that. I find that um, especially like French cinema, the female characters are so incredible. Mm. Um, they're so complicated, uh, and that's what I, I really long for in cinema. Yeah, nice. And is um, your? I mean, looking over your list of credits is is a uh, thank you. Okay. Nice one. Thank you. It's, uh, it's just you've got a very impressive list of credits and is it something that you reflect upon or when you get a script do you, do you think this is a do you think of it in terms of this is a role that I would like to have, to add to that list of credits or is it just a no do you know what I'm, I don't think about what's come before I'm just moving forward yeah I don't think about what's come before I think about have I, do- have I already done this Right. Like if I read something and go, oh, I've done this before, then there's nothing to learn. You know. Even if you, even if you don't really want, if you really want to do it, you'll still say, no, nah, I've done it. Yeah, but I don't really want to do something if I've done it I before. See. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I yeah. li- I'm a curious person. I like to have new experiences and adventures, and um, also I like characters that shatter stereotypes, and um, and Elizabeth Sloan absolutely does that, um, and so that was a major part of the reason why I wanted to do it mm-hmm. and what I like what I really loved about Miss Sloan was that it's um, I mean it, the, the script is just incredible and you are pretty much in every scene and I just think for me who's a non-actor <laughs> I think uh, how on earth do you just get your head around those lines you know I some know. of those especially in, in that in that film with all the jargon what's uh, what's your process for learning scripts it's well it's just takes a long time you yeah. know um it's easier to learn lines when you know what the character is doing mm-hmm. so i find that if there's a line that i keep forgetting or i keep you know you know why is that it's because i don't know why she's saying it yeah so 
So if you have a good understanding of the character, you know, if you read the script many times and you kind of have this emotional through line uh, for what she's doing, then it's easier to memorize the lines. Yeah. So usually I start there. I just really familiarize myself with the woman, with her motivations, what she's, um, what her arc is throughout the story, and then from there I, I find it much easier to learn the lines. Mm-hmm. Do you um do you get offered many um TV roles? I do actually. Mm. Um, I mean, not many, but I do get offered television roles. Right now, I'm not so interested in doing that just because I'm a curious person and I want to play different kinds of roles. Because you're committing yourself to potentially yeah. multi-season arcs, yeah. I think it's just really funny because there really is no... I, I, it's great that there's no kind of divide anymore between TV and film, but it also... It, it levels playing field, but it, it, it's so... Everyone is so spoiled for choice now that it's yeah. almost intimidating, right? But I love it. It is great. It's Fantastic! It is There's great. so much opportunity out there. Mm. Yeah. And is it, is it just is it just going to get better? Do you think with with, with sites like Netflix and Amazon that it's just giving yeah. the industry a new lease of life? Yeah, I think you know the great thing about the internet is kind of created democracy in terms of um, distribution. I mean, it used to be before that studios controlled everything. There, so there was outgoing messages, you know, mm. um, that they would only allow a certain kind of movie star or a certain kind of story, and now. When you have Netflix, you have people like Ryan Murphy out there who's saying, actually, I want a, mo- uh, a show about women. Um, if that's And the audience chooses to watch that yeah. because, like like me, the audience also is curious for new stories and new adventures. And um, I'm, I'm excited by the mini no- networks and, and um, Netflix and Amazon Prime and, and all of this is happening because I think what it's doing is it's creating an opportunity for um, stories about more uh, people in society that have not had that platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and lastly, are you excited for Can? Yes, so I get to be on the jury with Pedro Almodovar and Sorrentino. <laughs> it's just like so exciting, mm. um, and you know I love cinema so much. I love going to festivals because I always try to see other people's films. Yes, festivals sometimes when you have your own there you don't have that opportunity but now I'm going to watch like over 20 films you're so lucky I'm so lucky <laughs> thank you so much thank you. thank you nice to see you yeah you too lovely to meet hello my name's Jack Shepherd I'm here with my colleague Jacob Stolworthy hello and we're here to talk about the shows you should watch even in a climate of so many good shows being on streaming services. So, Jacob, what mm. show are we here to talk about? So, uh, I'm here to tell you that there's a show called The Leftovers, and this is a TV show that you all need to be watching. The Leftovers, the basic premise is that 2% of the world's population has just disappeared out of nowhere. And the idea is not to talk about why they've gone, but the effects that has had on people. Mm. So we kickstart things with Justin Theroux's lead character and it's three years after the event has happened, everyone's midway through um, grieving, kind of coming to terms with it, everything's still kicking off almost, Mm. even though it's three years you still see people struggling with what's going on so I've only watched the first episode but you've watched, you're up to date I'm currently up to date, so it's currently on its third and final season um but yeah, I mean, I immediately fell in love with this TV show because for me, there were many things in it that kind of sets it apart uh, as, you know, up there with, with if not better than, mm. in my opinion, 
the Breaking Bads and the Wires of, of, of our time. Um, I think it's important to say that this show is created by a guy called Damon Lindelof, who co-created Lost, which I know may uh, fill a lot of people with dread. It's already immediately picked It, it puts people on the back foot. I love Lost, but I can understand that it puts people on the back foot. But I think Damon Lindelof needed, well, whereas Lost was a show that was kind of drawn drawn out by the network's demands, The Leftovers is a HBO TV show. And he's, he very much has had it meticulously planned out, should they be given more seasons. Mm. Um, season one is based on a book by a guy called Tom Perotta, who also co, uh, co-created the show with Lindelof. Um, and it's uh, what immediately struck Damon, uh, what, what struck with him when he read the book was that, yes, it's about 2% of the world's population disappearing. No, that the, the question of why that happened will never be answered. Mm. So... It, because as you say, even though it is this massively high concept, it's still a very human story where you mm-hmm. focus on these human characters. It's a sobering show about grief. That's what season mm. one is anyway. It's about grief and it's about more than grief. It's about how how can people move on when they couldn't bury the ones they loved, when they disappeared mm. and, and went somewhere where they, um, you know, when no, no one knows where they went. Um, the event in, in the series is called The Sudden Departure, and it happened on October the 14th. And the first episode picks up on the uh, three-year anniversary of that day, right? And uh, there's a, um, you know, what's so good about this show is that it's set in, you watch it and you think, um, this this could be our world. This could be how our world reacts if something extraordinary and devastating like this event occurred. And 2% doesn't sound like a lot of people, but... It's millions. I think that's the thing. Like when I was talking to my brother about it and I said, oh, it's about 2% of the population goes. And it doesn't seem like that much. 2%, like two is such a small number. Mm -hmm. But then you think about that. That's one in 50 people. That's, I don't know, how many Facebook friends do you have? Like 400, (laughs) that's like 20 people or something like that, which completely just disappear. And then you go, oh, actually, that's a massive, massive deal. Like you think about one of your relatives dying. Mm. That's that hugely impacts your life mm-hmm. and you have to have you know you have a funeral and that kind of thing but in this show because you don't know why they've gone there's no chance to have a funeral there's mm-hmm. no everyone's trying to find answers and as you're kind of taking from the the lost mm-hmm. influence almost there's this argument about religion and science, science and, and they faith. immediately yeah. bring that in the first episode where they have a scientist on this TV screen like five minutes in and they go um, oh the top scientist of the world what have you come up with what mm-hmm. can you say and they just go oh we have no idea we actually have no idea what's happened and I mean I don't know do they do they question that more then as the show goes on of, or? of course but in subtle ways because the show it's in its um, it's in its DNA that this is mm. what the show is about this is why you're watching the show but not all episodes are about this event mm. um, season one obviously is very skewed towards um, not why it happened but how it affected the people who, who the leftovers people who are remaining um, and I think what's great is that it explores different characters motivations in, in very different ways as the season goes on there's a cult that has spawned um, following this uh, this event they are called the guilty remnant and they uh, they dress all in white they smoke cigarettes they don't talk they just write down and hold up signs to communicate and they are they see themselves as living reminders because they think that the world has forgotten that this thing happened and that there is no family there is no love we are all 
we are all just here, but a lot of people just disappeared and there is no rhyme or reason for that and we should all be basically reacting to that. That's quite interesting. Which is an interesting notion, one that you may not understand, but it's an interesting notion. I get it, but at the same time it's, it's difficult because if people just disappears, you need to grieve for them. You do. And if you don't know why, you still need to continue... I don't know. Which is a good time to talk about. There's a character played by Carrie Coon who is absolutely storming at the minute. She's in the new season of Fargo as well. Mm. And uh, she plays a lady named Nora Durst and she um, she's a bit of a rarity in the world because she lost her entire family. Um, you know, some people lost no one. She, some people lost everyone. And it's it's quite interesting because why her? And she's she's a, um, you know, not, not to say anything, but to give anything away but it's understandable that there will be people around the world who will hear about her and want to meet her that's just like a semi-celebrity almost though. in their own way and, and there's always a great <laughs> there's, there's a great moment isn't there there's a news there are news reports where it, it discusses yeah. what celebrities have gone missing yeah. and it's just quite funny the celebrities it plucks out but again in a way like to pope. ground it in the real world i think the pope is one of them um but it um later on down the line there's an episode three episodes in which if, if, if when everyone starts watching it <laughs> they will um, absolutely love it was a bit it's a show-stopping episode and it kind of sets the blueprint for what the leftovers is about um mm. so it actually hones in there are episodes that will hone in on certain characters and it reduces justin through's arguable lead character reduces him to a walking cameo in his own show because because this is we live in a world where you know you don't that people exist in their own right, right? So mm. there really is no lead character in The Leftovers. But we are guided through by Kevin Garvey, who plays, who's played by Justin Through, who is the police chief, who is going about his time just trying to get by, isn't he? He's, he's a long-suffering protagonist. He's great. It's, it's interesting that these characters come... They're introduced in small ways and then have their own episodes because some shows attempt to do that and then it really doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I don't watch it, but I know... You've been talking about The Walking Dead, and mm-hmm. they've started doing that more so. And it doesn't work it as doesn't well. Doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. Why do you think? Why do you think it works here and not there? I think it comes down to the to the um, quality of writing. Okay. I think the writing team behind The Leftovers are up to the task, and I feel that The Walking Dead are trying to balance too many things. Whereas The Leftovers, it's it, it doesn't have a lot to balance, but what it has to balance is just great. Uh, it's it's working on another level to most TV shows I've ever seen. But the second season, because that's not based on a book. So season one is is the book, yeah. Season, season one two, is the book, and then season two continues that story. It continues the story. It expands the universe and continues the story, yes. When most things lose track of their source material, mm-hmm. often the writing can get worse. But here, does it, the actual author of the book, does he work on the he TV show? He continues to work on the, on the TV show to this very day. But season two uh, started... Uh, I believe a year and a half after season one and while season one I've, I believe immediately sets leftovers apart as an, one of the greats um, it didn't really receive the viewership or the acclaim that mm. it deserved um, until season two arrived and it was deemed a masterpiece by uh, by critics and viewers alike um, it, and that's continued into season three which is getting unanimous praise it's one of the best, uh, if you go on Metacritic, which uh, their compilation of the best reviewed TV shows, The Leftovers is sitting at the top, which if you said to me during season one, I would never have believed, but I'm so glad that my faith in this TV show is being rewarded. <laughs> so and what, I need more people to watch, we need more people to watch this show. What kind of, what kind of shows does it compare to, do you think? So I think the, the first show that comes to mind uh, is Twin Peaks. Mm. Um, it's not going being, through its own renaissance. 
which is going through its own renaissance. And while it's not overtly as batty as Twin Peaks is, there are elements of it. You know, there are some animals which have re- which are very different following the sudden departure. Um, and there are just characters who do very strange things because that's how they've reacted to this event. I mean, even the, the cult of smokers, mm. you know, who, don't, who smoke because they don't want to waste breath or yeah, something exactly. like that. Yeah, exactly. It's all a bit batty. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's all quite grounded, I feel. Well, so far it is. Mm-hmm. It all feels... I mean, we were, we were talking about it earlier where, it, like something like Breaking Bad, mm. where you can... under The reason Walter White is such a great character is because you can relate to him mm-hmm. and you can think, well, if I had cancer and I was super good at science maybe I was going to like why wouldn't you just make a load of meth and sell it (laughs) and just like have millions and millions of dollars to see out the rest of your you know your few days Mm. in this show it's you can see yourself if 2% of the world just went missing you can see yourself being one of these characters and either you would freak out and not know what to do and if there was a cult perhaps you would feel maybe I should join this maybe I should see what's going on and like Justin's character, you, you feel empathy towards him because he's reacting the way you would probably react mm-hmm. or you can imagine your neighbour reacting like that or something. There seems to be like a slight obsession at the moment with religion on TV mm-hmm. and people portraying what happens almost in this semi-post-religion mm-hmm. world. Religion, by- religion is a huge theme in this show. But so is atheism, and I think mm. that's what. So it, it, it won't deter people. Um, it's not trying to claim it knows what's going to happen when we die or mm. where we go when we die. It's just trying to convey what that question does to people when a fantastical event like the sudden departure comes along to rock beliefs they may or may not have had. So I think ultimately. Um, the Leftovers is uh, it's embedded itself as one of the greats um, through just being one of the best written, directed, scored. Max Richter does the score. It's incredible. Um, TV shows that I've ever seen. It's up there with the Breaking Bads, the Wires of this world, um, which is, you know, that's pretty high praise. Mm. And I think um, if you watch the show, you will be immediately drawn in um, and even if you don't, if, even if it doesn't touch you as much as much as it's touched me, I think you'll be happy you invested your time into it, and you'll be um, you'll be recommending it to all your friends.